be really informed, you need to know what's behind the national news stories and what's going on in your neighborhood. Consider This, a new podcast from NPR and WNYC, helps you make sense of the day. Subscribe to Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey folks, before we start, we wanted to check in about the language in the realness. You're going to hear some offensive words, especially F-bombs and N-bombs. Our team talked a lot about how to handle this, and in the end, we've struck a balance between recognizing how loaded and offensive that language is and telling Prodigy's story the way he told it. Okay, here's our show. So where are we going to start? Uh, where should we start? Vegas? Let's start in Vegas. June 17th. June 17th, 2017. We're downtown, right on the strip at this outdoor stage. Thousands of people in the audience. And this group has just walked out to perform. Their name? Mob Deep is this hip-hop duo. It's these two guys, Prodigy and Havoc, they were huge in the 1990s. And when they come out on stage, they jump right into Survival of the Fittest. The first few lines of that song are trademark Prodigy lyrics. The other thing you need to know about Las Vegas right then is that it's hot like over 100 degrees, even though the sun is setting and it's packed. Prodigy and Havoc run through a couple of tracks. And then, as the mob, I think, almost always does, they cue their classic (laughs) club-destroying, groundbreaking song, Shook One's Part Two. In that heat, everyone's got their phone up. Prodigy and Havoc are rapping the songs in the entire... They, they could turn their mics off and do the whole song. The crowd knew every syllable. It's clear at the end of Shook Ones that they left it all on stage. So Prodigy walks off the stage, and he looks happy, but you can tell looking at him that he's tired. And that's a big deal, because he has sickle cell anemia. And the thing about sickle cell is that when you exert yourself the way Prodigy just did, get up on a stage in the baking heat, it can make you feel terrible. Normally, your blood cells are these flexible little discs. They can squeeze into capillaries. They can transform almost into like a liquid. But sickle cell makes your blood cells stiff. They cut off circulation to your bones and your organs. This is what makes sickle cell really painful. But for anyone who works with pee, all of this is kind of normal. I wasn't like 
too alarmed. I was like, all right, okay, we gotta go back to the hotel because that's what we usually do. He'll, you know, he might get sick. We go to the hotel. He go to the room. You know, he'll, you know, take his meds or whatever and relax. And then the next morning, he's up and we're gone. This is their DJ from that night. His name is Ski Beats. These guys have been working together for years. So I say, yo, I'm rolling with y'all. You know, while I was in the car, P, you know, he was talking. He's like, oh, man, I don't feel good. I might have to go to the hospital today. But it's crazy because when you looked at him, you know, P always had that crazy smile. Like, oh, man, I might have to go to the hospital. You know, I ain't feeling good. But he was kind of smiling like, you know what I'm saying? So you, you couldn't really gauge how bad, you know, what was going on with him. So they get back to the hotel. And everyone says their goodnights. They go back to their rooms. And that's it. Until a few days later. Everybody's on the phone. When P's friends around the country start getting these calls. No fucking way possible. He's dead. He's on tour right now. They're doing the show. I refuse to believe this shit. What are y'all talking about? In the summertime, you know, you talking about this sunny day right here that we having right now. I'm in here making beats. Prodigy is dead right now. Son, it's over. He gone. When Prodigy died last year, everyone was stunned. This was the death of a father, a brother, a great friend, a hip-hop legend. But what we discovered was that P had had full-blown medical crises throughout his career, all over the world. Those days and weeks in the hospital, lying in bed, in pain, they not only changed P as a person, they changed his entire approach to hip-hop from the very beginning. The first thing when I asked him, I said, yo, kid, why you want to do this for? The first thing he ever said, he said, because I got sickle cell anemia and I'm going to die. I don't know when, at any time, it could happen, so let's get it. And just in case you think you don't know Prodigy, you know Prodigy. He's influenced countless other artists. Kendrick Lamar, Eminem. He's been sampled by Mariah Carey and Lady Gaga. We're going to tell you Prodigy's story. But we're also going to tell you the story of sickle cell. 100,000 Americans, mostly Black folks, are living with this disease every day. It's a story about race and institutional neglect. It's about who gets care in this country and why. But listen... It's also about an MC, a guy from Long Island, New York, whose influence is still felt today. To really get Prodigy's music, you gotta understand his life with Sickle Cell. Both of those things together. I'm Mary Harris. And I'm Christopher Johnson. This is The Realness. Life before hip hop was just pain. Like, sickle cell was my life before hip hop. 
You know what I mean? That's I ain't I ain't really have no life. That was it. You know, I, I'm growing up and just that's that's all I knew was just being in a fucking hospital all the time. And then music, you know, the aggressiveness of it it just attracted me to hip hop because I was angry inside. I was an angry kid because of the sickle cell and mm. I, you know, so I liked the anger in hip hop. So uh, that's what attracted me to it. That's what made me want to do it. It made, helped me get my aggression out. So just a few months before he died, Prodigy went on Questlove's Supreme podcast. They call me P. Yeah. H-N-I-C. Yeah. He told this one story about how he came up in the rap world. It goes back to high school, a place in Manhattan called Art and Design. My first year of high school, my photography class was a kid named Black from the Bronx. And we got real cool kicking it every day in class. And one day, Black says to him, like, I want you to meet my friend. He was like, yo, man, y'all both rap. Y'all both about the same height. You know, um, I'm going to introduce you to him after school. It was this guy who everyone called Kiwi. So little did I know that these niggas were setting me up to rob me. I used to wear mad jewelry. Like, I used to have, I thought I was Slick Rick, dog. I used to have hands full of rings, mad chains and shit. Prodigy actually talks about getting robbed and being scared of being robbed a lot as a kid. He even started carrying a gun to school to protect himself. But still, he didn't He didn't suspect a thing. I, I was like, I'm cool with Black. We cool. Kid, he seemed like a cool dude. He was like, yo, y'all should make a group. I'm going to introduce you to him after school. I'm like, all right, bet. So Prodigy and Black, they walk outside to meet this kid, Kiwi. And there's a fight right in front of the school. So I'm like, we're looking at the fight. It's these two kids, and one of them pulls out a knife, and he slashes at the other kid, but he misses. Missed missed him. Hit his, like, leather jacket, and, like, motherfuckers dropped niggas, like, got the knife out of his hand. And they realize the kid who almost just got stabbed, it's Kiwi. And that kid with the knife... Kiwi starts whooping his behind. (laughs) And the crowd, like, flips out. The way Prodigy tells it, they actually lift Kiwi up in the air and they carry him. I swear to God, all the way to the train station after the fight. Wait, wait, you you can't, we can't just go past that. (laughs) Do you think that actually happened? (laughs) I mean, Pete's telling of it is that they lift him on his shoulder like he won the game. Yeah, like scored the winning touchdown, like, woo! So, you know... We following him to the train station. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, all right. So after they put him down, we get on the train. We meet each other. So I'm like, yo, where we going? He's like, we're going to Ravenswood. This is the Ravenswood housing projects in Queens, New York. I'm like, Ravenswood? I'm like, my grandmother from Ravenswood. He was like, a word? He's like, my grandmother from Ravenswood. Nowadays, this guy Kiwi, he goes by Havoc. And it's kind of crazy. This is the dude that was supposed to rob Prodigy. And they end up as these lifelong creative partners, rocking crowds all over the planet and making gold and platinum albums. This was that dude. That was it. We just got cool that day. You know what I'm saying? And we started making songs immediately. We just clicked. You know what I mean? We became really close friends and getting into mad trouble together. This is where Mob Deep started. On a train, into Queens, after school one day. After I met Hav, you know what I mean? And we started getting real cool and we started being like, all right, this, this is, we got something. I mean, we made like 50 songs immediately. And uh, we just started pushing forward with it. Like, man, you know what? Fuck school. Let's do this. 
the way these two kids decided to go get a record deal. What we used to do is look on the back of albums. All right, here's the address. All right, come on, let's cut out of school. Let's take the train. Go and they would stand in front of record label offices. And with the headphones, Walkman, and we used to just stand outside the door like this and wait for the rappers to come out, you know what I mean, or whoever to come out. And uh, we seen, you know, a bunch of different rappers come out. We should be like, yo, listen to our demo tape. And, like, and this worked. They got a record deal when they were still teenagers. I don't know. They had, I, I guess they were about 13, 14 maybe at the time, and two little badass kids from Queensbridge. Scott Jacobs is a producer who worked with Mob Deep back in the day. And he's probably got their ages wrong, but this just shows how young they looked. I always remember Key's little line talking about something about uh, baby slick Rick, little Rick the ruler, and in my pocket there's a fat bag of Buddha. You know what I mean? It's like my first instinct is like, what are these 13 year old kids doing talking about bags of Buddha? You know what I'm saying? So in 1993, the mob releases their first album. They call it Juvenile Hell. This is a song called Peer Pressure. It's one of the biggest singles to come off this album. It's got this punchy energy. Some pretty big name producers made the music for this album. And Prodigy and Havoc, they got a nice chunk of change to make it. You know, that was the big deal back then, getting a, a major budget and, and blowing your budget. You know, I remember Prodigy pushing like a sterling, could barely see over the wheel <laughs> back in the days. And they, they had like big cables that weighed more than them. And, I mean, but with that said, they had, they had some of the illest cats around them helping them develop that record. So then they set out to actually try to sell this album. You know what I mean? Then we go off on a little promo run. We doing an in-store one day in D.C., they go to a record shop. Remember record shops? And we walk into the in-store. And all of a sudden over the loudspeakers comes this really lovely jazz piano riff. It's yours. The song is called The World Is Yours. And the way the MC comes on the mic, boy, it's just fire. I sit the dumb peak watching Gandhi till I'm charged and writing in my book of rhymes all the words past the margin the whole of mic I'm throbbing mechanical movement understandable smooth shit that murderers move with and Prodigy and Havoc actually know this guy his name is Nasir Jones but at this point everyone's just calling him Nas Illmatic is playing we never heard it before and at that moment Prodigy says they had this realization we're like oh shit yo you hear this shit we was like, yo, pack this shit up, man. We we went about this all wrong. You know what I'm saying? And that brought us down to reality, basically. And they realized that what Nas was doing, that was the kind of stuff that they wanted to be doing. They didn't want to just get your head to nod. They wanted to make timeless rap songs. And Juvenile Hell was not that. You know what I'm saying? Because we could hear the difference. We could hear it. It was a big difference between the, you know, the thought, that was put into making, writing the lyrics, making the beats. He put some serious thought into that, and we didn't. We were just fucking around being little dumbass kids, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, feeling ourselves, yeah, we got a rap deal. Yeah, I got gold tooth. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Mob Deep's album, it only sold about 20,000 copies. Our arrogant, asshole attitude, that's why that album came out, like, and underperformed, and it was, like, not really 
We didn't put our heart and soul. We didn't put our, we didn't understand that this shit is not a joke. Like you can't just do whatever and, and people supposed to kiss your ass and like it. You got to make timeless. You got to make some shit that stand the test of time. And we didn't understand that. We was very arrogant. We was very, you know, cocky on some bullshit. And not long after that, Prodigy and Havoc got dropped by their record label. Yo, our hearts was broken. You know what I'm saying? Because we was like, yo, this is what we want to do with our life. So we was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No. We got to show people who we are. We got to tell our story the right way. We got to put, like I said, put thought and, and, and put meaning, put your soul, put your heart into the music. Like, you know what I mean? Tell your story, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? And we had the attitude, like, you know, we're not, we not going to, this ain't going to happen again. You know what I'm saying? One thousand percent for sure. This is never going to happen again. You know what I'm saying? They decided to start over. And what they came up with, man, this album, the infamous, that record would help define a generation of hip-hop in the mid-90s. If you listen to the first track, it's called The Start of Your Ending. You can hear how they have totally reworked their sound. I keep real back still like my man YG When the fool try to play me with them up, then I'm squeezy you must be crazy, kid, man, I never did. Forever wild in the side, live up in the bridge. It's a total 180 from what they were doing before. It's slowed down. It sounds composed. It's gorgeous. It's Mob Deep's second album, but a lot of people think of it as their first one. Including Even, Prodigy. Yeah, Prodigy sometimes just refers to it as their first album. The music on Juvenile Hell sounds like a lot of other hip-hop out at the time. But the music on The Infamous, even today, nothing sounds like The Infamous. They changed, they made, they made the music dark. When I was on their beats, I say, damn, the light went out. What happened? Oh, my God. It, it just became dark and, like, really gritty. And it was like, yo, I want to hear this. And this is one of the first hosts of a show called Yo! MTV Raps Today. This is Dr. Dre. Also known as A.K. Wonka Dre, also known as Big Daddy Original Concept Dre, also known as... I don't have all those A.K.s, I'm just joking. So, like Dre says, yeah, the music was dark, but man, it was also electric. This is another track from the infamous album. It's called Eye for an Eye. And when this stuff played in the club, it just made people feel some kind of way. Oh, man, you want to start beating and fighting your boy and grabbing and jumping around. Yo, this is that thing, yo. And women started feeling themselves. You started going, yo, yo. It was a different thing. But it also sounded like they were kind of rejecting all of that bouncy energy from juvenile hell. Other rappers were having fun with their music. But having a prodigy, they had, they had vocals where, like I said, it was almost like they turned the light out of the room and you were like, yo, I want to hear this. And the smoke started filling up around you. That's the, that was the vibe you guys like, yo, this is something dull. This is, this, this is Mob Deep. <laughs> and when you compare the infamous with their first record, part of what changed their sound was Sickle Cell. The big thing about uh, Juvenile Hell is production-wise, Prodigy was more the producer. This is Scott Jacobs again. He says Prodigy's disease flipped the roles that P and Have had in the group. When they started out, Have was doing a lot of the writing. So Havoc was doing a little ghostwriting for P, yo, 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 you know, say it like this, say it like that, whatever, whatever. 
go back to listen to the prodigy's flow. It's, it's very animated. It's very excited. And that's, that's basically habit. Now, when they were making the infamous, prodigy was getting sick the same way he always did. So what happens is Havoc is home, right? But any background for any any kind of thoughts or ideas always stem from the music first. He's having to go to the hospital for hardcore pain relief. He's doped up. He's on morphine. So what's Havoc supposed to do? Wait for P to get home in order to start writing? So Havoc starts to learn how to program the machines. And Prodigy, who's spending most of his time on his back, right, starts writing more. And Scott Jacobs tells a story about asking P about, hey, why'd you change your flow? Why'd you change your style? He was like, yo, I was just laying in the hospital, man. You know, I was all numbed up. And, you know, I was like, rather than get all excited or whatever, he said, I'm going to just talk to these niggas. And that's going to be my style. So this is where it happens, the way that P stepped to the mic. Ill, slowed down, plain spoken flow, the one that hip hop fans came to know even when Prodigy sampled on other people's music. It came from Sickle Cell. The infamous sold 500,000 copies in just two months. The mob toured Europe and the whole US, both coasts. And back then, when Mob Deep went on tour, they brought the whole crew, sometimes close to two dozen heads. And on the road, all of those guys got to see a side of Prodigy that they'd never seen before. He was like sitting in the chair like this, yo, yo, call the ambulance. I guess. The September 11th terrorist attacks changed the world. There's a sense that they came out of nowhere. They didn't. I'm Jim O'Grady, and in my new podcast, I'm going to revisit the evidence and question the people at the center of the story. I don't want to use the word panic. Let's penetrate his cell. And I promised him revenge. Blind Spot: The Road to 9-11, a new podcast series from History and WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We wanted to get a better sense of what Mob Deep's early days were like. We reached out to Havoc, Prodigy's partner for so many years, through his friends, family, managers. No luck. So far. But there are other people who were just as close to P back then. Yo, this is Big Twins, um, Queensbridge's finest, infamous mob crew. Twins was a part of this huge crew of guys that would roll with Prodigy and Havoc wherever they went. When did you first meet Prodigy? When I was like, four, I think I was 14 years old. We was over there by Havoc's grandmother crib in Ravenswood, and um, Havoc and P just walked up. Twins grew up down the block from Havoc. When he said, yo, we're going to start this new group called Mob Deep. And I was like, why is Mob Deep? He was like, because we're going to go to the club deep. It was over after that. Twins and Havoc lived in Queensbridge houses. This is the biggest public housing complex in the country. It was pretty rough when they were growing up, but it was also a source of mad inspiration. Queensbridge is almost like a character in Mob Deep's music. And Prodigy, who was actually from Long Island, a lot of people assume he's from the bridge, too. For me, I thought it was kind of weird because he had a nice crib in Long Island. 
You know what I mean? But he didn't want to be there. He kind of wanted to be in Queensbridge every day. So he used to be in my mom's crib, sleeping at my mom's crib all day. That's where he used to be at, all day. He just like, yo. That Queensbridge love, you could hear it in the music, but you could also hear it in the fact that the mob brought people like twins up with them. It was perfect. I used to have the whole hood in the studio, you know, just to give that energy. And when we went to the club, I'm like, when we go to the club, they get in limo, and I say, I'll meet y'all there. So I get on the train, I go to the hood, come on. 35 of us, and I, we all take a train, and then have a P and meet us at the front door and get us all in. You know what I mean? That's how I used to do it. Well, I was trying to make the image. So Twins was at the studio. He went on tour with Mob Deep. Super fun. <laughs> you know, we go to the club and perform, bag some shorties, bring them back to the hotel, do what we do. You know what I mean? <laughs> when did you realize uh, P had sickle cell? Um... That's crazy, because I didn't know for a while. I didn't even know what sickle cell was. Um, I never even heard of that. Seeing the pain he was in, that was crazy, yo. Do you remember what it what it looked like? I've actually never seen someone. Man, I was in um, North Carolina, um, Mall Deep, and um, Fat Joe and Big Pun, and P had, me and him were sharing a room, and he had to, man. P was saying he was feeling not feeling so well. You know what I mean? Because I had brought a girl back to the room, and I'm messing with her, but he's, in, like, kind of sleeping, you know what I mean? So they go so to bed. The next morning when we wake up, <sighs> like, he's breathing hard, and you know what I mean? I'm like, you good? And he says, I, I need my medication. I need, need my medicine. Please get my medicine. And that was my first time seeing morphine. I never seen it. It's, yo, the pill is like, it's nothing. It's like a grain of salt. Like, you know what I mean? It's so strong, too. So he took that. And he, he said, let me see how long it takes, you know what I mean? And then I left. I left out. When he comes back, I don't know, I want Prodigy's even worse. Full fresh. He was like sitting in the chair like this. Yo, yo, call the ambulance. So he's like panting? Yeah. He's like, like this. <clears throat> you know what I mean? He's rocking in the chair like this. And he like... And he says, I just, I need you to call an ambulance. You've got to call an ambulance for me. But the ambulance took a while, so that's when we started talking. He just sort of sits with him, and he says, listen, I, you know, I know this isn't the time to ask you. I even said, my bad, I don't want to ask you, but how it feels, son? And he was like, it feel like my bones are burning. I was like, burning? He's like, yeah, it feel like my bones is on fire. I was like, that's what sick as hell feel like? like I was, he said, you know, I think all of Prodigy's friends had this moment with him where they asked, like, what does this feel like? Nobody never seen P get sick like that, to that level, but the family, you know what I mean? So eventually, the ambulance gets there, and all the other people they're on tour with start coming out of their rooms to see what's going on. Everybody start coming in the hallway, because it's like, what's, what's going on? And then Big Pun came in the room, and Fat Joe, and they seen it. They, they couldn't believe it. They could not believe the pain he was in. He is screaming in pain, but he has no way to get to the ambulance. He can't move. I just seen them crying. They just start crying immediately. So Prodigy's boys get information around him, and they pick him up in his chair, and they carry him out to the ambulance. And, you know, pun it, they want to talk for hours after that. How he lived like that, huh? you know what I mean? I was like, I'm kind of new to it too, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, I never knew nothing about it either. How did that um, 
change the way you saw P or thought about him or thought about his life? Oh, nobody can get near him. You already know. We're in the club. We're in front. He behind us. Nobody can get nowhere near him. That's how I always was. That's These guys were already really loyal to each other. They rolled mob deep for a reason. Strength in numbers to protect each other. They live by this code. Mob Deep had a song called Eye for an Eye. We're in this together, son. Your beef is mine. So now Twins sees his, one of his closest friends go through this attack. And he decides he's going to protect Prodigy. Once I knew he was sick, then it was another level holding him down. You know what I mean? Nobody can't get near him, watching everybody, because we think something could happen to him if he get hit hard or knocked out. or You know what I mean? Because it's, you know, the sickest cell, we don't know how crazy it is. So, so we really treated him different after that. One of these guys from the mob told me we protected him like he was the president. And I feel like that was because they loved him, but also because they'd seen this tremendous vulnerability in him. He couldn't help it. This is his life. And I think these guys took that really seriously. I hate that sick of self. I hate it, man. Uh. Next time on The Realness. When Prodigy was born, kids with sickle cell weren't expected to make it to 20. And then doctors and activists took this obscure, misunderstood disease and made it so urgent, even the president had to pay attention. Watching him and his pain going through what he was going through and just those movements. uh, I couldn't feel that, man, but I felt it. You know, that's like something you, you can't feel. The Realness is a production of WNYC Studios, hosted by me, Mary Harris, and Christopher Johnson. Our editor is Christopher Worth. We had help from consulting producer Kathy Yandley and associate producer Aaron Mathewson. Celia Muller makes sure we're legally in the right. Michelle Harris is our fact checker. Jared Paul is our engineer. Casey Means is our technical director. Our team includes Amanda Aronchik and Audrey Quinn, along with Stephen Renault, Caitlin Sullivan, Ariana Jones, and Nikki Galtland. WNYC's Vice President of News is Jim Schachter. Trumpeter Christian Scott wrote our theme song and composed a lot of the music in this series. Additional music by Melanie Sue. Thanks to NPR for sharing audio from their podcast, Microphone Check. And thanks to Pandora for sharing audio of Questlove Supreme. A heads up from them, you can stream their Sounds Like You concert online. That performance included a rendition of Mob Deep's Shook Ones Part 2 by Nas. It was recorded just a few weeks after Prodigy died. Special thanks this episode to Benadere, whose initial guidance made the whole thing possible. We also want to show love to Prodigy's friends and family who gave us their time, welcomed us into their homes, and shared their memories of a man they treasure. WNYC's health coverage and the realness is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Jane and Gerald Catcher and the Catcher Family Foundation, Science Sandbox, an initiative of the Simons Foundation and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. 